If you have your Bible, you can turn to Matthew chapter 2, verses 1 through 12. So Matthew 2, 1 through 12. Friends, listen, this is the word of God. Now, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. When Herod heard this, he was troubled. And all Jerusalem with him, and assembling all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. And they told him, In Bethlehem of Judea, for so it is written by the prophet. And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, for from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel." Then Herod summoned the wise men secretly and ascertained from them what time the star had appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem, saying, Go and search diligently for the child. And when you found him, bring me word that I too may come and worship him. After listening to the king, they went on their way. And behold, the star that they had seen when it rose went before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was. And when they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. And going into the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and they fell down and worshiped him. Then, opening their treasures, they offered him gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh. And being warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they departed to their own country by another way. This is the word of God. Well, the Bible passages that describe the birth of Jesus have inspired all kinds of things. Inspired music, they've inspired songs, they've inspired poetry. They've also inspired Christmas decorations. And the wise men show up most particularly in the nativity set right? Probably have a nativity set. They're put out each year. And uh, the nativity set is, it usually calls to mind a a scene of peace, a scene of joy, a scene of happiness. And, And those things are appropriate. But Matthew is telling us the story of the wise men because Matthew wants us to respond to the birth of Jesus. Okay, more than just simply seeing that, oh, look, there's these three magi who show up. Uh, Matthew wants us to hear about the wise men and then respond to the birth of Jesus. Okay, and that's the question. He does this throughout the gospel. So we'll see him do this over and over and over again as we go through the gospel of Matthew. He wants to ask us, how will you respond to Jesus? Because he's not just the baby in the manger. And in this scene, he's actually not even in a manger. He's in a house when the wise men show up. Matthew is telling us that he is the king and the king is coming. We've seen him already here in the genealogy at the beginning of Matthew's gospel. We see that, that King Jesus brings a new beginning. 
right? In his conception, we see that, the, that King Jesus is God with us. And so the question for us is, how will we respond? So if you're here, for those of you who are here who aren't Christians, for non-Christians, this question prompts us to decide. It prompts you to decide if you're going to follow Jesus or not. And for Christians, this question prompts us to continue to learn, to continue to grow and extend and expand our faith in Jesus. And so the wise men appear and they invite us to come with them. And they say three things to us. So these are, these are going to be our points um, if you want to take notes. The first thing that the wise men say to us is, your work matters. Okay, the wise men say to you that your work matters. Okay, what you do for a living matters. Huh? Where'd you get that, right? Seriously, your work? I don't see work anywhere in this passage. Well, to understand why the wise men would tell you that your work matters, you need to know who the wise men were. Right? Who are these people? Um, the Magi, the wise men is what it's translated here, but in other translations are called the Magi. Well, verse 1 tells us that they're from the east. Right? They're wise men from the east. And so they were actually from Persia. Most scholars agree. They're from Persia, which is modern-day Iran. Okay? So they're from Iran. Now, this was significant because Persia happened to be the place that had the capital city of the empire of Babylon. Okay? The, the capital of Babylon. And Babylon was the empire that came and destroyed Israel and deported them. Okay, you remember in the genealogy? One of the main points in the history of Israel is the deportation to Babylon. When Israel was, was judged and they were sent into exile. And so we actually meet these wise men in the book of Daniel. Okay, in Daniel chapters 2, 3, 4, and 5, you can read about the wise men. They were, they were a group of advisors to the king who were both sort of a combination of priests and astrologers, okay? Now, astrology back then in Babylon had been developed into a sophisticated science. And so these are the wise men who show up now from the east, and they show up to worship Jesus. Well, how'd they know that Jesus was born? Well, they saw a star right? They saw a star in the east, so they came. Well, how did they know what the star meant? Well, these wise men had been taught by other wise men who had been taught by other wise men who had been taught by other wise men who had been taught by other wise men um, whose ancestors learned about this coming king from Daniel. Daniel was part of this group of folks. If you read from Daniel 2 to 5, you can see it. Daniel was there. He was living with them. He was working with these wise men in Babylon during Israel's exile. And Daniel had visions. Daniel made predictions about the future. 
and he wrote down his visions. He wrote down his predictions. And this is the book of Daniel. You can read it. And Daniel predicted that God was going to send a king who would set up the kingdom of God on earth. Daniel predicted exactly when the king would come. And so these wise men studied his writings. They studied his visions. They talked about him. They passed the information on. And this is crazy because since Daniel had been in Babylon, 600 years have elapsed. So 600 years. And yet, here they are. They show up. The wise men show up. And you got to think, like, man, what was it about Daniel? What was it about Daniel that so influenced the group of people that he worked with that 600 years later, there were people who were looking for what he predicted, and when they saw it, they came. What was Daniel's secret? Two things. It was his character and his God. His character and his God. These wise men were descendants of the people who worked with Daniel and they saw his character and his God at work. And again, I just want to invite you, you can read the book of Daniel. It's a short book. It's 12 chapters long. But read it. In the beginning, it talks about the character of Daniel. He worked hard. He did his work with excellence. He was loyal. He was open about his failures. He didn't hide his failures. And he worked to be a blessing to others. When good things happened to Daniel, he always gave God the credit. He always gave the credit to God. One of the things he did that astounded people was his ability to interpret dreams. And Daniel made it really clear. He said, I can't interpret dreams, but my God can interpret them all. Daniel gave God the credit. So he was open about his faith. His success came from God. It wasn't about himself. Um, So he was honest about what he believed, but not obnoxious. Okay, and so these are the qualities that earned Daniel a following among the people that he worked with. And this is the power of sharing. It's the power of your personal testimony, your life, and your God. When you share who you are, and when you share what you believe about God, you give, you, you give a chance to bring God's blessings to others in the workplace. And it's interesting because, again, if you read Daniel, the folks that worked with Daniel did not like him at all. Uh, they were jealous of him. They were frustrated because he could do things they couldn't do. They set a trap that tried to kill him. Uh, and they would have been successful had God not closed the mouth of the lions. And so they persecuted Daniel in his life. And yet, 600 years later, we find that after Daniel left, they not only admired Daniel, but they followed Daniel's God. They were looking for Daniel's God to come to earth.
Folks, this is the call for us. Daniel's work mattered. How he conducted himself at work made all of the difference. It's why these wise men showed up. And these wise men would say, your work matters too. Your character, your God, how you follow him in the workplace, how you follow him with your colleagues, the excellence of your work. You want to be open about your faith. You want to be honest about your mistakes because people may not agree with you. They might not agree with your faith, but they will at least understand it. They'll understand it. If you're respectable in the work that you do, if you're honest with people and you share just what you believe, how Jesus is a blessing to you, why you follow him, if you show Jesus' character in tangible ways, people will remember it. People will be drawn. I mean, this is how, you know, this is how our blessings become a blessing to others when we share those blessings with others. This is how I became a Christian. I had a friend who had something that I knew I didn't have. I said I believed in God, but I didn't have a relationship with him. And for a while, I didn't think a whole lot about it. For a long time, I just didn't think about it, didn't care about it. But when my life got difficult, I began to realize that what was missing in me was what this friend had. It was a relationship with God. And her life was like a star raised in my life. You know, when my life got difficult, I knew exactly where to go. I knew exactly where to go. For you, your character and your sharing about God makes it so that when the star appears in your friends' lives, in your co-workers' lives, they know where to go. Will they come to you? So the wise men say, first and foremost, your work matters. Your work matters. The second thing the wise men say, they say, search diligently. Okay, this is point number two. They say, search diligently. I like this because they're wise men, but they don't have all the answers. You know, it's part of being wise, I think. Um, They didn't have all the answers. They came searching. So for you, this is good for both Christians and non-Christians, right? If you are searching, you're in the right place. You don't have to have all the answers to come to church. You don't have to know everything to come to church. You don't have to know anything to come to church. You just have to be searching. These folks came a long way, right? They came from the east. And if they were from Persia to Jerusalem, I I went on to Google Earth and and did a map thing. Um, It's about a thousand miles. Thousand miles. So if we're going to do the, if we're going to do the Magi, we're going to be the wise men from San Diego. So we all pack up and we set up and we, we're going north, right? We're walking, okay, or riding a camel. There were no cars back then. Um, when we get to Sacramento, we're halfway there, okay? You got to walk all the way to Eugene, Oregon. So all the way through California to go the distance from Persia to Jerusalem, no cars, 
and no paved roads either. Okay, so you think about how far you can walk in a day. Man, there's no paved roads. So they went a long, long way. Talk about searching diligently. They saw it. They were committed. They were coming. Um, and then they just they, they came and asked. If you look at verse 2, they came from the east to Jerusalem saying, Where is he who's been born king of the Jews? They just asked. How does this work? Where is he? They were open and honest. Verse 2, we saw his star when it rose, and we've come to worship him. We don't know much. We know there's a star. We know there's a promise. We know there's a king. We know he's born. Where is he? We've come to worship him. Do you want to search diligently? You want to come with questions? You want to come with honesty? Just ask. It's the best thing to do. If you're here and you're not, a, if you're not a Christian, what questions do you have about Jesus? Maybe you want to know, like, what's the real proof that the resurrection happened? How does the cross work? Why did Jesus have to die on a cross? Right? How do I understand forgiveness? Just ask. Ask the person who brought you. Ask someone next to you. Come ask me after the service. Just ask. Sign up for our next Christianity Explored class. We have a class that's devoted to answering your questions about Jesus. But Christians, you have questions too, right? All of us, we continually seek. Even after you find Jesus, you keep seeking him, right? What are the questions that you have? What are the things that you've heard about what it means to follow Jesus that you still feel like you're on the outside of? Are there blessings that you feel like you don't connect with or haven't experienced? ask how do I grow how do I deal with an obnoxious spouse right how do I deal with discouragement and frustration how do I be reconciled to other people how do I learn to share my faith just gotta ask just ask because together as a family we can get better we can get closer to the truth. I mean, these, 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 these wise men, they're seekers. They're real seekers. They're looking for truth. Some people say that they're searching, but really they just sort of let their skepticism pour the acid of doubt on everything. You know, they never really commit to searching and examining and engaging with the, the, the evidence. You know, true seeking means committing to engage. And these wise men are engaged and they're seeking. And so you want to keep searching, you want to keep asking, because there are some things that will open up immediately to you. There are some questions you'll ask, you can get an answer just like that. But then there's other things that take more time. They take more time. You have to keep searching and keep asking. I mean, in one sense, their trek here, they, you know, the star got them to Jerusalem, and then it seems like the star disappeared, but then it reappeared. Um, in verse 9. Behold, the star that they had seen when it rose went before them, and then it led them the rest of the way. You know, and so sometimes it'll take a while to really search out the answer to a question because so many of the questions that we have about religion or about spirituality or about a relationship with God have not just an intellectual component but a heart component. If it's true that Jesus died to free me from the power of sin, 
so that sin doesn't control me anymore, why do I still struggle with it? How can I experience the freedom from sin's power? I know I'm forgiven, but how do I stop? How do I grow? That's a search that can take some time. There are truth components that you can understand that will help, but there's an experience of that truth that sometimes takes, that takes time. So they persevered. Uh, they met with the king. The king sent them to Bethlehem. Um, and it's interesting there, right? Because we're going to talk a lot about Herod actually next week. Um, Herod is troubled. The city is troubled. We're going to talk about why uh, and get more into Herod next week. And we'll come back to, to some of the things here in this passage. But suffice to say here that Herod gathers around all the Bible scholars and says, okay, when the Messiah comes, where is he supposed to be born? And they say, Bethlehem. They say, and they're, they're all clear. They speak with one voice. Bethlehem is the place. And so what we see here is Matthew's presenting that Jesus is the king. And Jesus is the king who is fulfilling all of the predictions about him. Okay, this comes from Micah chapter 5, verse 2. And in Micah 5, 2, the prophet there predicted that God would send a king. And he talks all about the king. I read through all of Micah this week, and it was, it was really incredible to watch the flow of the story and the predictions that are coming and what this king is going to do. But Micah says in Micah 5, 2, that this king is going to come from Bethlehem. Guess where Jesus was born? born in Bethlehem. There's evidence, there's predictions about the coming Messiah that Jesus perfectly fulfilled. The evidence for him being the Messiah becomes overwhelming as we continue to read through Matthew. And so for us, inspired by the wise men, I just want to encourage you to search diligently. That star sometimes shows up a long way away and gets you started. And you go running after it and it feels like the end of a rainbow. It's hard to really find out where that thing is. But then it appears again. And sometimes in our lives, the star is, it could be the Bible. You know, as we read the Bible, we sort of find the truth that we're searching for. It could be the church. It could be a friend. It could be somebody who invited you. It could be someone in your community group. Um, and as you ask the questions, as you search, the, seek out the answers, um, it may be a combination of all these things that God uses to lead you to what you're seeking. To lead you to Jesus, either for salvation or for holiness or for growth and power. And so just a word on the star. I just feel like it's appropriate. You know, what, what actually was the star? Different scholars say all kinds of different things. Some people say it was Halley's Comet that appeared. The problem with that is that Halley's Comet appeared in 11 to 12 BC, and so that was before Jesus was born. They say Jesus was probably born five, between 5 and 3 BC. So, um, so this, it wasn't Halley's Comet. Um, others have said that this is the place, or this was an instance where Jupiter and Saturn sort of came together in the night sky and formed sort of a super bright object that they saw and then came. Um, I think that beyond sort of the physical astronomical explanations, seems like what we have here is pretty miraculous. Because what we have here, it appears at one point, 
and then it disappears and then it appears again and it leads them directly to the house. You see that it says, behold, the star in verse nine that they had seen when it rose, it went before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was. And so what we have here, this is God circumventing the laws of nature because he can and powerfully leading the wise men to the place where Jesus was. There's a whole theology of stars and and, and the sun, the stars and the moon in the Bible. You can chase it down. But from the beginning in Genesis 1, God made the stars uh, and the sun and the moon partly to give light, but also to, it says in Genesis 1, 16, it says to rule. It says to rule the days and the nights, the seasons and the years. And so from the beginning of the Bible throughout, the stars, the sun, the moon are described um, as picturing and figuring human leaders, kings. Okay, and so it would make sense for God to have put this supernatural phenomenon in the sky when this supernatural phenomenon happened at the conception of Jesus. So if you're searching, keep searching. If you have questions, ask. Don't hide your struggles. Don't hide your questions to yourself. When you bring them out, you will find answers. God will lead you. He will lead you to what you're seeking. So the last thing the wise men say, they've said, um, search diligently. They've said your work matters. The third thing that they say is, they say, worship the king. Worship the king. This is what they do. Um, In verse 10, when they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. And going into the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and they fell down and worshiped him. So worship is the goal of your search. Worship is why you're searching. When you think about religion in general, but when you think about Christianity in particular, the end goal of seeking, the end goal of searching is worship. Let me say it a different way. If you haven't come to the place where you have worshipped, then your search is not over. If you haven't come to a place where you've worshipped, then your search is not over. Michael Marsden, who talks a lot about apologetics and, and defending the Christian faith, he says this. He says, The trouble that we have today isn't that we have nothing to be grateful for, but rather that we have no one to be grateful to. And he says, have you ever been in love with someone and been unable to express it? Right, maybe because your love was unrequited or there was no way on earth you could get to the person, but you feel this sense of love and this desire to be with someone, but you can't express it. Or you do express it and it's rebuffed or you're rejected. Right, there's that emptiness, that feeling that gnaws at us, that really consumes us. 
But then there are those times when we express love and we feel like it's been received. And not only received, but then given back. That's why worship is so important. This is, why, this is what waits for you when you worship. Because when you express love to God, when you worship God, it brings a completeness that is missing in your life otherwise. What is worship? Worship, it's, it's an attitude, it's a gesture of dependence and submission. You are saying that someone else is worth something significant in your life. And so we have, there's lots of different ways to think about worship. There's, there's direct worship where we see people bowing down. Right? The act of bowing down is to say, I am not worthy to stand before you. I don't belong. I'm not on the same plane as you are. You are above me. And so I bow down. And you have people that even kowtow, right? They put their face on the ground. And what they're saying is, compared to you, I am nothing. And I might be something, but compared to you, I am nothing. That's what these wise men do. They fell down and worshiped him. Now for us, there are times where we physically bow. There are times when I feel so moved in prayer that I need to get on my knees because I need God to know and I need to remind myself that this is how serious this is. That God, I am prostrating myself before you because you are God and I am not. There's times that when we bow our hearts, we do that here. Like we don't get on our knees, um, but we bow our hearts to God. We say, God, we just we acknowledge in your presence that we are completely dependent on you, that you are so much greater than we are. You are so much smarter. You are so much more loving. You are so much more gracious. You are so much more powerful than we are. And we stand in awe. The reason we gather on Sundays in part is because we want to give worship to our God. We're gathered here to worship him. We're gathered because there is something in us and if we don't worship, we will feel incomplete. Because there's a wholeness when we connect to the God who created us, the God who has saved us in Jesus Christ. When we connect to that God, there is something that happens that makes things right. Even when our lives are falling apart, even when hard times come, even when difficult things happen to us, when we worship, when we worship, we know that the most important thing 
is in place. And so that's, that's what we do on Sundays. My hope is that what happens on Sundays inspires and sets the rhythm for what you do daily with God. That you get to connect with him and you express worship to him um, on your own, in your families, in your community groups. Because worship is about bowing down and, and directly worshiping God. But there's another sense to where all of life can be worship. And in that sense, to worship means to live to please God. It means to orient your life around the authority of God. It means that if you believe that God really is that much bigger, that much more powerful, that much more loving, that, that he's worth, I mean, this is the question you have to ask yourself. Based on what you know about God, that he has come to bring us a new beginning, that he actually left heaven to come and became a child. He became a baby. He endured this life. Right? That he would go to the cross for us. That we screw things up. We screw things up, and he, instead of shouting down condemnation from heaven, that he decides to come down himself to save us while some of us are actually nailing him to the cross. And then for him to take on our sins and to overcome them. You want to ask yourself, is that God worth your life. Is that God worth following? Is he worth worshiping? That's where it comes. I mean, this is for all of us, for Christians and for non-Christians. Right? It's easy if you're a non-Christian. That's the question. This is the story. This is who he is. This is God. Are you willing to worship him, to live your life for him and not for yourself? That if you and God disagree, you're going to go with him. But then for Christians, folks, as we learn to worship here on Sundays, in the lobby as we're caring for each other after service, when we learn to worship God for the rest of our day, when we learn to worship God on Monday, on Tuesday, on Wednesday, on Thursday, when we learn to worship God in the workplace by following him and orienting our life around his ways, when we learn to do that, we will experience more and more and more of his blessings. That's what worship is. Um, and I mean, that's, it is, it's so Worship is the most important thing that we do. And the reality is that all of us worship something. We either worship God or we worship ourselves or something about us, our career, a relationship, or money. We all worship something. There's something that we're building our life around. And I believe that when you worship God, amazing things happen in your life. Meaning happens. Significance happens. Assurance happens. Power happens. 
in your life because God comes into your life. He enters into the areas where you're worshiping. And when his authority comes in, everything about him comes in. And you experience him more and more and more. These wise men who would say, worship the king, that's exactly what they did. They fell down and worshiped him. Then they opened their treasures. They offered him gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh. These are gifts fit for a king. This is worshiping God with their things, with the stuff that they have. This is also, these are gifts that are fit, not just for a king, but they're fit for the savior of the world. Okay, and by doing this, the wise men actually fulfill another prediction about the coming of Jesus. Let me read to you Isaiah chapter 60. It says this, Arise, shine, for your light has come, and the glory of the Lord has risen upon you. The Lord will arise upon you, and his glory will be seen upon you. And nations shall come to your light, and kings to the brightness of your rising. The wealth of nations shall come to you. They shall bring gold and frankincense and shall bring good news, the praises of the Lord. And so Jesus, he came as the king of the Jews. That's what he's called in verse two, but he's so much more than that. He is the king and the savior of the world. He is the king and savior of the of the world. That means his blessings are open to anyone. Anyone who will worship him. Anyone who will trust in him. I mean, you look around for us, some of us are from the east. Right? But not all of us. We represent probably over 30 at least 30 different countries. And so what started at the birth of Jesus that the nations began to come and worship continues on. Brothers and sisters, friends, we are an expression of the continuation of this worship. We follow the wise men. Folks, I just want to invite you to worship. Worship him. There is nothing in your life more important than him. You need to devote yourself to him. And if you don't know what that means, ask. Ask. It's part of the search. It starts with trusting Jesus, just confessing your sins. It's what we did earlier in the service. Just confess your sins. He will forgive you. And as you worship him, say, Jesus, I want to live for you. I want to live for you. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, with all our hearts, we declare that you are more important than anything else in our lives. Lord, it is the joy of our hearts to declare that you are the most important thing. Lord, your ways are better than our ways. Your thoughts are smarter than our thoughts. And Lord, with so much of our lives, we don't worship you. We haven't worshiped you. 
and I pray, Lord, I pray that you would restore us, that you would forgive us. Help us all, Christians and non-Christians, to take the step of faith and be willing to commit to you again, to say, Lord, that we will follow you, that we will worship you with our lives. Help us to do that here on Sunday. Help us to do it in our work, in our families, with our friends and our neighbors. Lord, because that's what makes you happy. That's what, that's what thrills your heart when we live for you. Lord, we pray. We pray that you would draw close to us and help us experience you as we worship. We thank you. In Jesus' name, amen.